In Daniel chapters 11 and 12, we find a report of Daniel's great last vision, which summarizes and amplifies the astonishing prophetic forecasts given him earlier in Daniel chapter 2, 7, 8, and 9. This vision has prompted a host of conflicting interpretations. A surprising fact, since the vision is written in simple narrative style without the symbols of beasts, heads, and horns found in the earlier revelations. The reason for the many differing views of the final vision of Daniel can be traced to the assumptions held by commentators before they arrive at chapters 11 and 12. With a clear idea of what we're looking for, it is all too easy for us to read into the text what we think ought to be there. This is the very opposite of sound method. We must make every effort to ask the question, what does the text actually say, according to the ordinary rules of language? Applying this criterion of simple attention to the grammatical sense of the passage before us, we may be surprised that it has caused expositors so much difficulty. The last days. First, we should note that in the introduction to the vision of Daniel 11 and 12, the angel declares that the content of the revelation has to do with the last days. That's in Daniel 10 verse 14, an expression which elsewhere in the Bible describes the times just before and just after the establishment of the kingdom of God worldwide at Jesus' future return. In Isaiah chapter 2 and Micah 4, the last days are those in which the government or kingdom of God will be established in Jerusalem and the nations will learn war no more. That's in Isaiah chapter 2 verse 4, a state of affairs which evidently has not yet come to pass. In Deuteronomy 4 verse 30, the latter days are the times of a final calamity upon Israel leading to their repentance. This evidence ought to prevent us from imagining that Daniel 11 ends with a description of Antiochus Epiphanes of the second century BC, and it also ought to prevent us from thinking that Daniel is speaking about the events in AD 70. The resurrection of the dead obviously did not occur when Antiochus Epiphanes died, nor did the resurrection happen in AD 70. Proof of this fact is that the living Christians were not caught up together with the resurrected believers in AD 70. Paul taught that at the resurrection, those alive in Christ will be caught up to meet him in the air. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 17. Very clearly, what Daniel saw stretched into the far future. He was writing in the 6th century BC, yet he predicts the resurrection of the dead. Daniel says this, Many of those who are sleeping in the dust of the ground, literally dust land, shall awake some to eternal life, literally 
the life in the coming age. That's Daniel 12, verse 2. When they awake, the righteous, as Daniel says, shine like the sun in its strength, a prediction which Jesus, as the great interpreter of Daniel, places at the end of the age. You'll find that in Matthew chapter 13, verse 43. This resurrection, of course, is the resurrection to occur at the second coming, or parousia, of Jesus. For that information, we consult 1 Corinthians 15, verses 23, 51, and 52. Also, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 and following, Luke 14, verse 14, and Revelation 11, 18, and most importantly, Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 4. Just prior to this resurrection, Daniel foresaw a time of trouble such as never was, and he recorded that in Daniel 12, verse 1. This period of unparalleled distress features prominently in Jesus' own prediction of the events leading up to the end of the age. You'll find that in Matthew 24, verse 21, which reads, For then, as Jesus said, For then shall be a time of trouble such as never was. Obviously, Jesus took this last vision of Daniel with the utmost seriousness, seeing in it an inspired forecast of the calamitous events destined to occur on earth just prior to his future return. There is much more to the vision beside the announcement of the Great Tribulation and the following resurrection of the faithful. The remaining material is most instructive because it tells of the difficult times associated with the period of final tribulation immediately prior to the resurrection and the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth. For those not familiar with the account of the future given in Daniel 11 and 12, it will be helpful to take a Bible and read straight through the entire revelation, noting particularly Daniel 11, verse 21, right through to Daniel 12, verse 13. It's important to observe that the resurrection described by Daniel in chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, follows immediately upon the death of the tyrant whose career is described in Daniel chapter 11, verses 21 to 45. We emphasize again, the wicked ruler in question obviously cannot be Antiochus Epiphanes, who died in 163 BC. He did not die just before the resurrection, nor can it be Nero, whose death in the first century AD was also not followed by the resurrection of the dead. A very basic law of language dictates that a pronoun, the pronoun is he in our passage, describes a single individual 
unless there are very clear reasons in the context to show otherwise. We have no difficulty in discerning that a new personage appears on the prophetic screen in Daniel chapter 11, verse 21. He replaces his predecessor who dies in the previous verse, Daniel 11, verse 20. Once on the stage, this vile person, as Daniel calls him, forms the subject of a long passage extending to his death in Daniel 11, verse 45. Unfortunately, many commentators have disregarded the normal laws of language and proposed that we are dealing in these verses, Daniel 11, verses 21 and following, they're suggesting that we're dealing with a long span of time far beyond the lifetime of a single individual. Fortunately, the data we are given allows us to be absolutely sure that the climax of the career of the vile person in Daniel 11 verse 21 occurs just 1290 days before the end of the age in Daniel 12 verse 11. This limits the events of Daniel 11 verse 31 onwards to a period of about three and a half years. In order to get our bearings, we must note carefully the critically important time information supplied by the revealing angel in Daniel 12 verses 7 and 11. Remember that chapters 11 and 12 contain a single vision. Daniel 12 verse 5 and the following verses form a postscript to the vision. Daniel is allowed to ask some important questions about the length of time allotted to the activities of the so-called vile person presented to him in chapter 11, verses 21 to 45. The answer to Daniel's question about the duration of the awful events of chapter 11 is most enlightening. The information is simple and clear. From the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1290 days. You'll find that in Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. In order to grasp the point, we naturally look back at the events of the vision to see where in the account, the setting up of the abomination of desolation took place. We find this crucial event in chapter 11, verse 31, at the height of the career of the vile person who came on the scene in verse 21. 1290 days is a little over three and a half years. We can be sure then that from the moment the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be a final time of trouble, at the end of which all these things, as we read in Daniel 12, verse 7, including, of course, the resurrection in Daniel 12, verse 2, will be accomplished.
The single individual described as the vile person in Daniel 11 verse 21 is seen in conflict with another ruler, the king of the south. The vile person is designated throughout the vision as the king of the north. These two rulers struggle for power in the area of Israel and even sit at a conference table and lie to each other as we read in Daniel 11 verse 27. Ships from the west have recently troubled the northern king and this stirs him into a rage. He then receives cooperation from some who forsake the faith. Daniel 11 verse 30. This in turn leads to his causing the interruption of sacrifices and the placing of the abomination of desolation. Daniel 11 verse 31. This king of the north then harasses those who have understanding, marches southwards, and following a final battle with the king of the south, comes to his end in Israel, between the Mediterranean Sea and the Holy Mountain, which is Jerusalem. You'll find that information in Daniel 11, verses 32 to 45. Again, this is not a description of Nero in the first century AD. This relatively simple account of the evil final king of the north in Daniel 11, verses 21 to 45, has received strange treatment at the hands of expositors. Frequently, the invaluable time information given in Daniel 12, verse 7 and 11 has simply been ignored. This has allowed commentators the liberty of placing centuries of time between what they think was the setting up of the abomination of desolation and the end of the age. However, careful attention to the remarks of the angel reveals that from the arrival of the abomination to the end of all these things, Daniel 12 verse 7, there are 1290 days, Daniel 12 verse 11. This fact naturally proves that the events described from Daniel 11:31, where the abomination appears, still lie in the future. Breaking the thread of the story. For various reasons, expositors have been unhappy with the straightforward narrative presented by Daniel in Daniel 11, verses 21 and following. It may come as a surprise to readers to know that the pronoun he, referring to the final king of the north in Daniel 11, verse 21 and following, has been made to apply to a completely new subject, namely a third power in addition to the kings of the north and south. Some thought they discovered Julius Caesar in verse 18. Once slipped into the narrative, Julius Caesar's career was found also 
in Daniel 11.19. The same commentators then maintained that in verse 20, Augustus Caesar is in view. The one who replaces him in verse 21, the vile person, on that theory, would then have to be Tiberius Caesar. Other students of this prophecy were not satisfied with what seemed to be an entirely arbitrary insertion of Julius Caesar at Daniel 11 verse 18. Moreover, the story which develops in verses 23 to 30 appeared to have no connection at all with the successors of Tiberius, who, according to the theory, was to be found in Daniel 11 verse 21. A second school of interpreters, therefore, thought they had detected a third power in verse 31. Sir Isaac Newton, amongst others, suggested that this new power appearing, as he thought, in verse 31, was the Roman Empire of the first century BC. But the King of the North is still the operator in Daniel 11 verse 31. Antiochus Epiphanes was not future to Jesus. The Maccabean theory which applied the abomination of desolation in Daniel 11.31 exclusively to the Syrian leader Antiochus Epiphanes who lived from 175 to 164 BC ran into the obvious difficulty that Jesus himself spoke of the abomination of desolation as future to his time. This view, and I quote here, virtually challenges the authority of the Master, Jesus. That's a quotation from Clarence Hewitt in his book, The Seer of Babylon, page 340. It was a failure to note how Jesus understood the prophecy. Jesus referred this abomination to a time still in the future. Matthew 24, verse 15. We are here at a crucial point in our discussion. Why, when Jesus says that Daniel prophesied the arrival of the abomination of desolation just before the second coming, why do some commentators insist that Daniel did not see beyond the career of Antiochus Epiphanes? The final question revolves around the acceptance or non-acceptance of the truth of Jesus' words. What does Jesus say? The application of Daniel 11 verse 31 to a Syrian ruler in BC times does indeed challenge the authority of Jesus himself. Speaking around 30 AD, Jesus declared that those living in Judea were to flee when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel standing in the holy place. Matthew 24 verse 15. This authoritative understanding of the prophecy of Daniel is the only one that should have been allowed by expositors. Strangely, this has not been the case. Jesus' very simple, directed link 
between Matthew 24, verse 15, the appearance of the abomination of desolation, and its appearance in the vision of Daniel, Daniel 11, verse 31, and Daniel 12, verse 11, these connections have been almost entirely disregarded. Furthermore, the information supplied by the angel in Daniel 12, verses 7 and 11, should have prevented all attempts to stretch the contents of Daniel 11, 21 and following over centuries of time. The angel expressly says in Daniel 12, verse 11, that 1290 days will be the length of the persecution inflicted by the wicked tyrant who sets up the abomination of desolation in Daniel 11, verse 31. Then all these things will be accomplished. As we read in Daniel 12, verse 7, this plain information should have warned expositors against treating the pronoun he in verses 31 and following as a piece of elastic and stretching it over hundreds of years. Jesus places the abomination of desolation of Daniel 11 verse 31 at a time in the future. He connects it with the fall of Jerusalem immediately preceding his return. For that information, please see Matthew 24 verse 15 verse 21 and verses 29 to 31. A final fulfillment in AD 70 is therefore ruled out because Jesus did not return immediately after the events of that year. The angel, as we read in Daniel 12 verse 11, places the abomination 1290 days from the end. Even apart from this data, we could have known that the abomination was a feature of the very close of this age, because the pronoun he, the king of the north, in Daniel 11, verses 21 and following, very obviously refers to a single individual, as a repeated pronoun always does in a narrative passage. Some wise words from professors. A distinguished professor of the Old Testament wisely said of Daniel 11, it is contrary to all sound principles of exegesis to suppose that in a continuous description, with no indication whatever of a change of subject, part should refer to one person and part to another. And the king, in Daniel 11, verse 36, should be a different king from the one whose doings are described in verses 21 to 35. In other words, as S.R. Driver has just stated, a single person is designated by the continuous pronoun he. S.R. Driver's comment with which we agree entirely, of course, is from his commentary on Daniel in the series Cambridge Bible for Schools and Colleges, page 193. Henry Cowles, D.D., who 
who taught the book of Daniel for 25 years to young men preparing for ministry, expressed his conviction that Daniel 11, verses 21 to 45, describes the career of a single king of the north. He said this, The bonds of philological connection are of the strongest kind. It would seem to be simply impossible for one accustomed to study, observe and obey the laws of philology and to interpret language in view of what it is, to have even the least doubt on this point. That's from Carl's commentary on Daniel with notes, critical, explanatory and practical, page 448. The professor's remarks are a pointed and much-needed corrective to much exposition of Daniel 11, and they remind us that we are first and foremost bound to the normal rules of language when we read the Bible. We are also bound, if we claim to be Christians, to accept the interpretation which Jesus puts on a given passage. Fortunately, his express reference in Matthew 24, verse 15, to the abomination of desolation found in Daniel 11, verse 31, and Daniel 12, verse 11, as well as Daniel 9, verse 27, these remove all doubt as to how Daniel's words are to be applied. Certainly, they cannot refer to Antiochus Epiphanes, except perhaps as a type, when Jesus refers them to the future. Space does not permit a demonstration of the various other attempts which have been made to insert a third power into the narrative of Daniel 11, verses 21 to 45. A straightforward reading of the passage leads us to believe that the future will reveal an end-time struggle between the tyrannical king of the north, that's to say from Syria or Iraq, certainly from the Middle Eastern area, and that must be then the northern division of the ancient kingdom of Greece. For that information, see Daniel 11, verses 4 to 6. And the king of the south, presumably Egypt, so inserting into the narrative powers from other geographical regions breaks the thread of the story which formed Daniel's crowning vision. Surely this ultimate revelation given to Daniel and the church as recipients of Holy Scripture must inspire us to vigorous evangelism before the dark days of the final enemy of God arrives. Since this article was first written in 1988, events in the Middle East have focused attention on the area of ancient Assyria, or Iraq. It is precisely from this part of the world, and not the European common market, which I think is not specifically mentioned in the Bible, it's from that area of the Middle East that the Bible expects the evil tyrant of the latter days to arise.
For that information, you can see my article, The Assyrian in Messianic Prophecy, at our website, Focus on the Kingdom. However, nothing in the Bible known to this writer tells us when the end-time events will begin. Hence, the need for watchfulness. The abomination is just before Jesus' return. It is not always recognized that the 70th week of Daniel 9, verses 24 to 27, is taken by Jesus to be a period just before his return. Jesus places the abomination shortly before his second coming. Matthew 24, verses 15 and following. Matthew 24, verse 29 says that, and I quote, immediately after the tribulation initiated by the abomination, he, Jesus, will come back in power and glory. This fact is crucial to a fair reading of the prophecy. Daniel expects the abomination to appear in the 70th week or period of seven years, as we read in Daniel 9.27. Jesus expects the abomination and therefore the 70th week, period of seven years, just before his return. The earliest church fathers saw the 70th week or period of seven years as future. The 70th week of Daniel 9 was seen as future and close up to the second coming by the earliest church fathers who wrote in detail on prophecy. Montgomery, in his International Critical Commentary on Daniel, page 394, notes that this apocalyptic or future reading of the last period of seven years is the one found in the Gospels, and it is adopted by Irenaeus and Hippolytus that the 70th week or period of seven years was future and close to the end of the age was understood in 243 AD by Hippolytus in his work De Pasca Computus. This fact is noted in the Encyclopedia of Religion and Ethics. They report that this one week or period of seven years is taken off as belonging to the eschatological period in the future. That's the Encyclopedia of Religion and Ethics, Volume 3, page 606. Irenaeus also expected a three-and-a-half-year tribulation and a rebuilt temple. Irenaeus says, for three-and-a-half years, during which time when he, the Antichrist, comes, he will reign over the earth. That's from Irenaeus Against Heresies, Book 5, Chapters 25 and 26. Irenaeus sees the Antichrist not just Antiochus Epiphanes, in the 8th chapter of Daniel, and he quotes Daniel 9, verse 27, as a prophecy of the final reign of the Antichrist for three years and six months. 
Commodianus refers to a future and final Antichrist in these words. Isaiah said, This is the man who moves the world and so many kings and under whom the land will become a desert. Then doubtless the world will be finished when he appears. He himself will divide the globe into three ruling powers. When, however, Nero will be raised up from hell, Elijah will first come to seal the beloved ones, at which time the region of Africa, does he perhaps mean the king of the south by that term, and the northern nations, the king of the north, the whole earth on all sides will tremble for seven years. But Elijah will occupy half of the time and Nero the other half. Then the whole Babylon, being reduced to ashes, its embers will then advance to Jerusalem, and the Latin conqueror will then say, I am Christ, whom you always pray to. And indeed the original ones who were deceived combine to praise him. He does many wonders, since he is the false prophet, especially that they may believe him, his image will speak. The Almighty has given it power to appear such. The Jews, recapitulating scriptures from him, exclaim at the same time to the highest that they have been deceived. Moreover, when the tyrant will dash himself against the army of God, his soldiery are overthrown by the celestial terror. The false prophet himself is seized with the wicked one by the decree of the Lord, they are then handed over alive to Gehenna.